coming up on Man Enough. You are indoctrinated or inculcated into these cultures, whether it's the football team or the military, where it is violent, it is aggressive. By keeping things compartmentalized, I deal very well with stress, but you become emotionally detached. You might be called cold or distant. You need to be situationally alert. A lot of these professions put you on alert for that it becomes a lifestyle. And when, you, when that becomes the way that you live, you've really missed out on the fullness and richness of life. Mm. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. And welcome back to Man Enough. Mm. My name is Liz Plank. I'm and, Jamie Heath. And we, Justin is not here today. Why? Um, because of, he's in an undisclosed location, relaxing, doing some self-care. Did we kick Maybe him doing off? some safe, We kicked some him facials. off the podcast, didn't we? We, yes, we locked the door. Um, and Sorry, dude, you're done. No, we miss Justin. We um, miss him. We really do. Well, let's talk a little bit about who we are. Liz? Who we are. What, what do we do who here? Am why, I? Why, I don't what, know. What, what do we do here at Man Enough? What do we do? Well, we have conversations about gender that are very inclusive, mm-hmm. that are inclusive of everybody. Um, men being very much included and invited and encouraged to be part of this conversation and talk about what masculinity mm-hmm. means to them and what um, friendship means to them, what, what closeness means to them, what love means to men. Um, mm-hmm. And we we do that and we also have fun. We, we have, have fun. a lot of fun. We have it. deep conversations. I, Liz, have, uh, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty decent guy who's made a lot of mistakes, but one that cares uh, deeply about the transformation of society, but you've never arrived. No. So what I love about what we do is we have guests on, we have conversations ourselves, and it gives me opportunity to reflect and continue yeah. to refine who I am. Mm-hmm. And I've learned so much from you, of learned course, so I've learned so much from Justin and from our guests um, of how to be a better me, a better man, mm-hmm. and to have this conversation hopefully help another um, you know, care about that journey as well. Yes. Um, so uh, this, this is kind of what we do. It's kind of what we do. Yeah, it's kind of a thing. Um, thing. What are we doing today? We have an amazing guest, uh, Major Tom Schumann, who's with us today in studio. I'm really excited. So excited. Major Tom Schumann, who served in Afghanistan for 16 months. Uh, Tom was awarded a Purple Heart after he and others were ambushed in a field Mm. um, on November 9th in 2010. And he went on to get his master's in English literature at Georgetown University. Mm. And he teaches English literature at the U.S. Naval Academy. He gets up at 5 a.m. No, he leaves his house at 5 uh, a.m. And I have many questions about how... uh, I can accomplish that one day. Mm. He remains in active duty in Annapolis, Maryland, and he just wrote a book together with Zainullah Zaki, who served as an interpreter for the U.S. forces. Tell everybody what the name of your book is. Sure. Books uh, Always Faithful. Let's lift it up for those who watch us. Yeah. It's a beautiful story of two friends and male friendship. And after over six years of battling bureaucracy with Major Tom Schumann and uh, as his advocate, Zach immigrated successfully to America with his family in 2021. So we're really, really thrilled. Welcome Major Tom Schumann. Dude, 
Welcome to the Madness Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. It's so sweet to have you here. Um, we're hoping to go deep in, have some fun conversations. Maybe you can share with us some uh, some things that we can take away, you know, how to be better. Mm-hmm. You've sure. experienced a, a rich life, we know. Well, let's go deep, okay? This is a podcast about being real and being vulnerable. Sure. So when was the last time that, like, you, Major Tom, Mr. Amazing, didn't feel like you were enough? Sure. Uh, I would push back on a lot of that praise, uh, but <laughs> that's kind of you. Um, I think I just started a new job uh, as the operations officer of an infantry battalion. So there's a little over a thousand Marines and I'm responsible for training them and preparing them to deploy to combat. I did not attend an operations officer course. I did not get a certificate that says you are now qualified to to be an operations officer. And so I, I think uh, stepping into this unit who's kind of halfway through their training cycle and uh, going to deploy to the Pacific in the near future, the gravity of this profession is life or death, you know? And so it's not like if you have a bad day in the office, you lose some assets or, uh, you know, some money, um, your stock goes down. Uh, no, if, I mean, a bad day will ultimately result in uh, young men and women's life. And so when that's, when you are responsible for those young men and women and you have responsibility to their family, so you want to give them the best training possible to set them up for success. But I, I, I think whether it was when I when I started the graduate program at Georgetown or when I started teaching English at the Naval Academy, I, I think it's, I think that's normal, you know, that that initial insecurity and it's, healthy to have that humility. Mm. I think, you know, the opposite is to kind of be arrogant or over-assume something and having a a small degree of imposter syndrome is probably Mm -hmm. uh, healthy, normal. And then I think, like anything, you kind of get into your Mm. rhythm, you kind of figure things out. With with the Marine Corps, what makes the Marine Corps challenging is that it's kind of as soon as you really figure out a job, it's your time to move to your next job because you change, like, we call them billets, like every two to three years. And so you kind of really get, but it's also good because it guards against complacency. That little bit of insecurity as you begin something is is really, it, it gives you a healthy respect for hmm. whatever you're entering into. You have an amazing friend that we thought, you know, we would hope to have on the podcast with you, Zach, um, who uh, you developed a friendship with and a relationship with while you were in Afghanistan, who was a translator, right? Yes. Um, and you guys built this friendship um, give us just a little glimpse of that, of, of what that was and what that meant and why that was um, so powerful that you've been, remained friends and then wrote a book together. Sure. At the, at the nascent phases of the, uh, our relationship, it was very transactional. I needed to speak to local people who spoke Pashto. He spoke Pashto and spoke English. And so, uh, and he was also good at his job. Uh, many of the interpreters were quitting because of how risky it was in that, um, at that time in Afghanistan. And so, he was good at his job, and he showed up and went on patrols. Uh, very quickly, that relationship moved beyond being transactional uh, when he took extreme measures where he exposed himself to risk and dangers that were well outside of his job description. And so through that shared adversity and through that uh, shared danger, he quickly uh, transcended this translator platoon commander, and, and he really became fellow brother Marine. Mm. Um, and when 
the Taliban was trying to kill him and he was eligible for a specific program. He said, can you help? Uh, I owed my life to him, like quite literally. But beyond the fact that he has had saved my life at given points, uh, it was just, you know, based on principle, the right thing to do. Uh, and so we spent five years submitting for this visa application. We could not in, uh, surmount the bureaucracy. And it came down to a uh, personal friend of mine who was at the airport last summer when everybody's familiar with those images. I had a friend there who, uh, through his own courage um, and heroism, and his team pulled Zach and his family through the gate uh, and, and, and after two prior failed attempts that were very harrowing. The bonds that you form under fire are unique. And, uh, and you know, we, we can kind of talk about this idea of the role of the leader or the kind of the head man in the platoon is like you can't you can't pass down your worries and your anxieties and your stress to your Marines. Like you have to hold you as a leader, you have to hold those. And uh, Zach was, since he wasn't technically one of my Marines, I could kind of have confide in him. And so not only did he probably like, no, not, not, he, he definitely, not only did he save my life physically, but you know, from my own kind of mental, probably saved me from having a mental breakdown as, as well. And so mm. uh, I think um, I, I made him a promise that I would do, anything for him and I would help him get to the United States. And uh, through a lot of help of a lot of great people, we were able to maintain that promise. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. That's beautiful. Yeah, I love hearing What that. did it teach you about fr male friendship? Like, did you ever have a, you know, I think on this podcast, we talk a lot about how men have trouble building that kind of intimacy with other men. Um, you know, what, what, what did it sort of teach you about that, that that went against what you had learned about how to relate to other men? Certainly that was just a uh, almost at that point survival necessity that I be vulnerable. Like I, I was quite literally uh, over capacity, over pressurized, over stressed that I I had to have a valve. I had to release some of that and, and by talking to somebody, cer certainly like so much healing can happen through discourse. Uh, and so to trust him that he would, you know, not share what I was saying, but so that, like there, there's some trust there. There's some uh, obviously kind of communication, but it was really out of matter of necessity, but then it kind of grew into, you know, friendship. And, and I, I think, um, you know, male friendships in particular, uh, like any type of relationship or friendship, they just take communication and consistency. And so we often think we're too busy or we don't make, and, and like no relationship will flourish unless it's watered and fed. And, and so, and what's on this phone is not real, real like relationship. You have to actually speak and see. And, and so, um, you know, I have two or three friends that we have a schedule that we will see each other once a month, okay. like no matter what. Schedule it in. And, 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 that, and that when we're not in the same state, like we will, the phone call before either of us go to work. So that means 4 a.m., like very painful for us both. <laughs> but uh, we've got to make this this happen. And, and so it, it just like any other kind of relationship or friendship, it, it really kind of takes uh, communication and commitment. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And I think they'll grow. Be as disciplined in your, you know, friendships with men as you are in any other part of your life. As That's right. <laughs> Thank you for that. I would, <clears throat> I'd love to know, being that this has been, how long have you been in the military? Uh, I'm going on 15 years. 15. 
the men and women that are a part of um, being in the military requires a certain type of confidence. I don't want to say in the line of fire, you know, but to, to be able to have that capacity requires certain attributes, right? Sure. Do, do you have a perspective on the masculinity that is in the young people? Do you find that there is some uh, things that can be revisited and re-looked at and the culture, and I don't want, I'm not trying to say anything about military itself, but the culture of people yep. and what that might breed. It is certainly a generally masculine culture. It's, I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the infantry and um, I believe in my unit of a, a thousand people, there are two or three women. So just by its very nature, it's yeah. masculine. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so, um, and masculine is a good thing. We're not. I'm not saying mas masculinity is not a, is a bad thing, but sure. it can be if we if it's used incorrectly, right? So. Of course, it, it absolutely could be. Um, I, I think you know some of them. What what I view as some of the positive masculine traits that correlate well with this profession that I, I think um, you'll find is, is, is really self composure, uh, equanimity. I, I think those are masculine characteristics or traits that um, are vital to the profession. And so your ability to make uh, sound decisions, uh, sound judgments, and think rationally in a chaotic environment. So there's all this entropy moving around you, and you have to be the, the homeostasis there. And I think that one of the most you know, desirable traits of, of, of a man is, is someone who is self-composed. Um, and so I, I think that's a trait that is uh, fostered, developed, cultivated, uh, and a, a job requirement. Mm -hmm. I think maybe I'll put this out there, like, and it's not necessarily an assumption from anyone here, but yeah. uh, when, when I talk about any of these traits today, I just want to make sure that I'm very clear that I don't view them as binary or mutually exclusive. Okay, beautiful. Right? And so if, if, if I say, like, self-composure is a necessary masculine attribute, especially in my line of work. I'm not saying that that means that that it's not also feminine or that there are women can't do those things. And so you. that's what uh, just, I think sometimes when I found that you have a discussion around uh, femininity and masculinity, it often becomes like it's got to be this, not, 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 not even necessarily gender, but as if it's, 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 it can only be men that do this, and right. it can only yep. and and so I just think it's to me the, these these traits, these characteristics, or these concepts aren't binary or mutually exclusive in one way or the other. They don't. It's it because when I when I talk about my hero, my mother, like she ultimately exhibited many of these what we would uh, categorize as masculine traits, and did it exceedingly well. Um, but so I just, I think uh, I like to just a yeah, little, yeah, little disclosure. Perfectly mm -hmm. fair. I appreciate yeah. that. Would you mind sharing real quickly? Sorry, Liz, you, I know you have some questions. And thank you so much for sharing some of those positive things that come from it in order to do it. Are there things that you recognize that can be redefined, re, uh, you know, um, refined? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's important that we, we first and foremost, you know, I, I'm a, I think you'll find that most people who have been to combat are um, peace advocates. So mm -hmm. you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find someone who has been on a battlefield and is warmongering. So like first and foremost, 
uh, I think we become the biggest proponents of of peace, especially when you've seen the realities of war. Mm. Um, but you have to say, like, you look at instruments of power. Um, and so the instruments of power that a nation has, diplomacy, information, military, economy. Why do you have a military? You have a military instrument of power to uh, violently persuade or coerce someone about a national interest that you had. It means that you've, you couldn't, you, you failed to use your words. You, you couldn't use information. You couldn't economically convince someone. So now you're saying, I'm going to convince you at the, at the, with a bayonet or at the pointy end of a, of a gun. Right. And so like, so we just had to talk about what, why, why a military. And, and so that is violent work is what it comes down to is it's, it is, it is through the threat of, violence uh, or the actual execution of violence. And so when preparing young men and women to be violent up to the point of killing people, um, some aspects of a more sensitive environment certainly uh, are, are probably not applicable. And the other side of that, I, I think where we can potentially go wrong uh, or, or like where I've made some kind of mistakes is, is the idea of like, just push, like whatever you're going through, push, like don't have time. You know, we have a thing called like, uh, mission has priority you know, troop welfare or, 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 or mission has priority. And sometimes, I mean, often the mission has the priority over the well-being of the people. If you had to attack a, a machine gun at a, on a hill, you couldn't say like I'm also interested in your best well-being, because there's no best well-being while attacking a machine gun, you know, position. And, and and so, what I have a hard time sometimes separating is like, not everything is a is a machine gun that needs to be taken like right now. And and so, I I kind of default to this kind of aggressive. Let's just push. No time to kind of deal with whatever we're dealing with, and uh, and that ultimately comes at a cost. And, and, and so maybe, uh, the two best examples I can, I can give is, is so compartmentalization is critical to your battlefield success. It's you're the battlefield conductor and, and you're the conductor and, and the battlefield is your symp symphony. And so all these things are happening. You just saw someone that you love lose a leg. You just heard over the radio that your best friend was just killed. You can't, take each of these emotions individually and, and process them in the moment because you have a job to do. Yeah. And so I will say, no, I don't have time to feel that. We're going to just put it in here, put it away. And, uh, and it allows you to be a very effective commander. Um, I spent almost three years in Afghanistan and had many of these moments where I didn't have time to deal with these emotions and I compartmentalized them and it made me really good at my job. But when I got back, I never uh, what we call like unpacking the boxes. Mm -hmm. I never went and reevaluated any of those ex experiences. And and here's like a part like of the military that you know is is, is maybe an issue. Whereas what I would tell myself is like, hey, you don't have time. You've got these Marines that you got to take care of. You don't have like you can't like you can't focus on this. You've got you've got a job to do, a mission to do. Keep keep pushing, keep pushing. Those they don't disappear. Those emotions, those feelings, those traumas, they're just going to resurface at some point. Yeah. Well, uh, if you, right. And, and so you have this festering wound and you just kind of keep trying to mm -hmm. put a bandaid over it rather than heal it. And it 
manifests in very unhealthy behavior. Mm. Uh, and, and so that for me was something that I finally, through my own destructive behavior, because I wasn't dealing with these things, because I was just keeping them compartmentalized, but then they would bubble up of their own fruition. Mm. Uh, you know, I, what I recognize is that I was scared. You know, it wasn't that I had to focus on the mission. It wasn't that it was that I was scared to do the work uh, and what that might, those emotions that I might feel. Or, and, and so uh, I didn't have the moral courage to, to interrogate what, why, you know, thoughts, feelings, and actions. Where are these thoughts coming from? Mm-hmm. And, and they're driving these certain actions to, to think about where the thought that drove the feeling, that drove the action came from. That's scary stuff. Um, yeah. And I think that's one thing that I found that we can probably do better. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Yeah, but and and you know you talk about not having the moral courage to to do that, but it's it, it's not your fault, right? You you were put in a position, you know, and 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 on a battlefield to 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 and and did things that were extremely difficult. And so I hear you talk, and I and I feel angry on behalf of you uh, when I see you know the U.S. government ignore a lot of veterans who come home with a, a lot of PTSD, a lot of mental health issues. And I, I I don't see the the state that is willing to put men and women, but let's be honest, it's a lot more more men who end up going to war. Um, you know, they're 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 fine with men putting their lives on the line. You know, in in that way. But then when they come back and they go look at all my wounds, you know, not just uh, physical wounds, but but those that are you know not visible. Um, you know, I, I don't feel like there's that support. And and I know you talk about this a little, I mean, you don't talk about this, but you reference in your book about, you know, asking yourself at, at one point, am I just an instrument of, of the state? I'm curious if you can can speak to, you know, go deeper in, in, in into mental health and, and the military and, and how veterans should be treated. Mm. Certainly. I, I view it as my responsibility. I, I, I'm only... Um, upset with myself that I didn't take corrective action earlier. I, I think the resources are generally available. I think to the most part, it has been destigmatized. Um, I think some of the myths around the impacts to your job, certainly at a point were probably very true. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've now wrote about getting, going and seeking help for mental health. I've talked about it plenty and I haven't found anybody, you know, that treats me any differently. Uh, and I, and it, alternatively, I've had a lot of people express thanks for me kind of talking about this this openly. So I will have a hard time. Um, I will always you know, I will always find a way to own and and, and take responsibility for um, anything. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, but I I think. What I, what I, what I, we talked about these invisible wounds. And so what the military does is, is we do a really good job of identifying uh, how to treat a physical wound. And so if you have a gunshot to the arm, like we know how to assess, uh, we know how to treat that. And, and, and so we spend a lot of time doing this life-saving training mm-hmm. um, for these, these physical injuries. And, and that makes sense uh, that we would, you know, do that type of training. Uh, but we don't, 
do any training to identify um, the invisible wounds, to do to do these self assessments. Mm. And so, if if you if you had any type of injury, I can quickly identify the injury mm. and, and and look at like what would be the best way for me to treat this injury. Uh, I don't have any of the tools of how to do a self assessment, and, and so you know we categorize casualties in three ways: pri- uh, routine, priority, and urgent. And so a routine injury is like, I sprain my ankle, I can kind of just walk it off, it'll be better. Priority means I need a buddy to help me. Like I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm wounded or injured enough that I, I need somebody to, what we call like firemen carrying me out or, yeah. or something like that. And then uh, an urgent casualty means that I, I need to get to a higher echelon of care, that, that I cannot treat this injury, my buddy is not qualified, to keep, I need to get to a doctor. And so I think you can apply a similar model to these invisible wounds where um, it's like maybe I'm just having a funky day and like let's just know that funky days are just part of life. Mm-hmm. And, and so there, there, is, there is no that, – that's part of one of the issues that I, I found like surrounding the military is that as soon as somebody in the military is having a bad day, experiencing a normal human emotion, sadness – jealousy, anger, these are all normal emotions to life. We would say like, oh, it's you must have some type of combat-related disorder. And it's like, that's not helpful either. You know, I'm just having a normal human emotion and we don't need to immediately elevate it to like that it's a it's a disorder, right? Mm. And, and, and so like I think we were we're really were quick to kind of as veterans were kind of mediating their experiences, anytime they had any emotion other than happiness, we said, oh, like you're having an emotion other than happiness, that must be some something, and and I I think that's that's really fair. I I, I hear that point. I think that's really fair. It's kind of like, um, oftentimes we're you're human. Everyone's human, and yeah. you're not allowed to have a human moment without it being attached to something else. Yeah, and I hear that, and and also I'm curious because I know as a, as a boy myself, as friends, having two sons, um, I know. All of my friends who played football carried certain attributes, and and it and it um, contributed to a form of aggression that was not that of people who played another sport, sure. um, or were doing music, right? Sure. Um, because the culture allowed for that, and it was not their fault. I'm not blaming anyone, but it it required that, right? We know from data we see people that are boxers, if they're fighting a lot, we know that that breeds a certain way of thinking. Sure. Not blaming it, not critiquing it, other than because I know it, that means I have to be prepared for the boys that are doing this. How are they going to end up in 10 years, 20 years? Because it's perpetuating a certain way of thinking. Sure. Right? So similarly, uh, we know that the police force, there's a certain thing. You're always on guard. You have to do certain things. Not blaming any of them, but that's going to perpetuate a certain way of thinking. So if we're men, we have to be mindful of these things so that we're unpacking them. And then also, I would imagine, in the military— it's constantly doing what you said. You're going out in a place where you're fighting for your life, fighting for your country, fighting all these things. Of course you have to come with something. But like football, like boxing, like all these other sports, is it not breeding something that then men can do a disservice if we're not unpacking it? Sure. Because we then, I don't know, form aggressions or we form a way to like camouflage our feelings or, you know, uh, I I don't know. That's that's where I'm I'm interested in. Yeah. Because in our show and what we really want to undefine is what masculinity means, how it affects men, and how we can be better. Yeah. And and so 
you know, certainly you are indoctrinated or inculcated into these cultures, whether it's the football team or the military where you know, it is violent, it is aggressive. Um, you aren't reintegrated into normal society. There's no, there's no boot camp back into th- that transition, you know? And, and so, do you think that's healthy? Uh, I, I think certainly many work cultures throughout history had really good rituals of reintegration. You know, Native Americans had where that the, the, the entire tribe would circle around the warriors when they came back. They would give them the appropriate space and honor. And then like, and, and so it was like the whole community kind of rallied around them. Mm. And so there, there's, there are certainly, you know, the Spartans had their own kind of reintegration where they would do like fear shedding. And it was, it was normal for them to, to weep on the battlefield after. And, and so uh, you can look to past examples of warrior cultures who had, I think, much healthier reintegration uh, transition period between the, the battle, the combat, and then the, the home front. And I, I don't think that, I think it, I think we lack that currently. And, and, and to your, to your point is, is, is this idea of what, um, this guy, Colonel Cooper came up with the color code. And, and so essentially when, when you are in combat, you need to be what's in the yellow, which means, um, alert, but relaxed. So I'm alert that I, I'm constantly checking kind of, uh, my scanning my baseline, looking for anomalies, and then something arises, and I can fluidly uh, have the cognitive dexterity to to attack that problem without it overwhelming me. Well, being alert all the time uh, certainly comes at a cost. Uh, it comes at a cost and a benefit. It, it comes at the, the benefit being nothing like over, overwhelms me. Like I don't I don't become overwhelmed by the environment or circumstance because I was expecting, you know, it's the Stoics had this idea of premeditation malorum or, or, or premeditation of evil. Like I was, I was, I was expecting something, it happened. And so now I'm not, uh, knocked flat by it. What I have had a hard time to this day is, is that, um, by staying in the yellow, by keeping things compartmentalized, I deal very well with stress uh, or, or, or certain <laughs> challenges, um, but it life becomes a little bit more stale. Uh, you become emotionally detached. Uh, you might be called cold or distant, um, and so to get those rich. So you you maintain a very steady baseline when you're kind of always alert and always vigilant because nothing can kind of throw you off your center. Um, But Tom, let me ask you. Sorry, sorry, Liz. Those things you're saying. Yes. Let's just take it out of the military. Let's not even talk about that. Yeah. Wouldn't you say that if we were to design a man that we would think would be the best representation of what a man could be in humanity, wouldn't they include those very things that you just said have to be omitted? I, I would say that, yes. And so what, I, what I'm getting at is like, you need to be situationally alert. Like there's a time and place, uh, but that a lot of these professions put you on alert for that it becomes a lifestyle. And when, you, when that becomes the way that you live, you've really missed out on the fullness and richness of life. Mm. And so if you want a full life, you have to be 
vulnerable. And the whole idea of being constantly vigilant and on alert is to reduce your vulnerability, but to get the highs and lows. And so I'm always like this, but then my happy moments are just a little blip, Mm. but my sad moments are just a little blip, but that's not a full or rich or complete life. And so it's a safe way to live, but it's not it's 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 not a good way to live. And so I'm not advocating. So if, if I were to advocate a good masculine lifestyle, it's someone who in the in the correct situation or moment can present themselves to be vigilant and alert so that they can respond adeptly to whatever situation arises, but then can transition back to having the the vulnerability required uh to like I don't get excited for things. You know, like that's not so I don't get let down, but then I'm not. And so th- these are, this is not like, this is not healthy. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying like, I am saying this is That's not healthy. That's what I'm interested in hearing. It's not healthy. It's, 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 it's. it's not to critique your profession at all. And I, I, don't, I don't know if everybody within my profession maintains these same exact values or ideals. But for me, uh, you know, 15 years, approaching 15 years in this profession, it's how I have found to be effective in this profession. And, okay. and, and, and as a father for the first time, I've had to force myself into being vulnerable uh, to being present. Because when you're fully present in a moment. You're a father to a boy. Uh, I have two boys and a girl. And when, when you're fully present, you can only see the thing in the moment. And so when I, my, my daughter's four, and so she's, she's my oldest. And so when I had her and she was an infant, for those moments when I would rock her to bed and sing her, I had to be fully, I knew that I was depriving, robbing myself of a fleeting opportunity that if I stayed like I normally am, I said, you won't get the richness of this. And so I had to be vulnerable. And and, and, and so it's still something I'm working through for sure, n- knowing that this is not a rich or complete way to live and something I'm in, in that, that there is strength in being vulnerable. And, and that's, Something I struggle with. <laughs> mm, I love that you can say that, Liz. You have some. I, I have so many follow up things. Go, and, go. And, no, no, please. But, but I mean, I could be going a million different directions. I, I, I think compartmentalization. Compartmentalization. Is that a works for me? Word we're making up. Sure. Let's let's say it, it exists. Mr. English major. I don't, uh, you know that, right? Please <laughs> <laughs> uh, say so. No, because I have in my romantic, uh, but even I think not just romantic relationships with men, even with my friendships with men and, and my dad to a certain extent, there there is that uh, ability to compartmentalize that is both um, super annoying but also jealousy-inducing because I, I can't. I can't. I can't compartmentalize. I wish I could. I I, I feel like I my life would be a, a lot better if I if I were able to do it better. But at the but but yeah, at the same time, when when I've been with a partner, for example, who who does it, it comes off as um, as deceiving. Um, as because it's like you are you feeling the thing or are you not right or it. Uh, it it, it again de- deceiving may not make no, sense but it's hard to people to trust. but the, re- yes it, and and again unempathetic or again cold but at the same time we all become a version of our professions to especially in a culture like the one we live in right now where work is so tied to your identity and so i think about like 
you know, actors and famous people, right? Like it's so hard, I think, for, you know, many famous people who are, who are so kind-hearted, so amazing, but end up bringing in their sort of regular lives what they have to bring in their professional lives, which is to be the center and mm. to enjoy being the center and to make things about you. Um, it, it works and it makes them successful, you know, in their work, but then a lot of uh, them struggle in their, you know, regular lives. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. I think society is really screwed up right now. It's been. There's some amazing things about it. One of the things is the inequality of men and women. The inequality of um, um, people of, of, of different walks of life. One of the things is men have held the keys to the world for so long and not always done it great. We've done it a little great in a lot of ways, but certainly not. Um, my ancestors were slaves. Everyone would admit that wasn't the best thing. That was generally not controlled by women. Generally, it was men. So that's something that we, you know. Women uh, did it too. Why women women did, did it too, but, but the leaders of it and the ones that were uh, in charge and the top of the food chain were men. Uh, this is not a knock on men in general as our species. It's a great species. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. But we can be better. So in order to be better, we have to have, uh, and I, that's why I want to take the military or music, my career, the film industry or, or boxing or sports. Let's take all that out of it. Just men. Yeah. We have to be better. We have to be better about caring for other people, having empathy. Sure. We have to be better about listening to other people, especially our wives or women in general because there's so much to offer that oftentimes have been dismissed. So I look at what is some of the things that have contributed to us not being our best self. And some of those things um, has to do with these false understandings of what masculinity is, right? Having power over another. Um, and the list goes on and on. I'm not going to sit there and list them all, but there are things. So we then have to reflect and examine how do we get better? So when I hear a man tell me I cut off my emotions to survive. Got it. Want you to survive 100% in your field, whatever that is, you need to do that. But do we recognize that is not how I want my son to be raised because that won't, I want him to experience all the joy and my daughters to be raised with, to be married to a man that doesn't hear and listen and, you know, all these things we have to be better. So I am curious because you deal with so many men and if you're like really honest, like forgetting the work itself, just like I, I deal with so much men and I see masculinity up close. How do we get better? How do we really like tangibly, like yeah. actual things, right? Not just like I've, I've, big I've, grand theories. Sure. You know, and I mean, what, what you're pointing out there is like all that comes at a cost. So it's like, congratulations, you're, you're good at compartmentalizing. Like you're paying for that in other ways. And so the, everything comes at a price. And, and so... Um, again, I would not advocate that that is the best way to go through, through life. And, um, I, when I think of how a, a roadmap forward for our men in our culture, I, I think of, uh, two things. I think of one, I think to, to, to Reverend King gave a, a sermon, um, in Montgomery, Alabama in 1957 to a Baptist church and he titled it, uh, Conquering Self-Centeredness. And so first and foremost, um, he talks about that as a man matures, 
that he must strive towards higher loyalties. He must strive towards a cause that is something greater than himself. And then he talks about this idea of the eternal eye or arrested development. And so what so many men really are just children, are boys who, who never grow up, is a Peter Pan syndrome that I think is, is, is infected so much of our culture. And, and, and so you talk about um, masculinity as like power over and how that's like a, that's a, that's a wrong way to view it. I agree. Ma- ma- to me, what, what he's talking about is, is, is it's through service to others, servant leadership, is, is really this idea of service and sacrifice for something greater than yourselves. And it doesn't have to be through military service, right? It could be to your family. It could be to your community. It could be to any, you know, there are many, many good and righteous causes that are greater than the individual. And so for you to uh, end the eternal eye or just focusing on your individualistic uh, concerns, he talks about like this, that, 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 that children are necessarily egocentric. This is all from, from the, this, this sermon, that, that you're a bundle of your own emotions as a child, that everything has to be about mm-hmm. you. But if you were to mature into a man at some point, you, you, you ascribe to these higher loyalties and, and you say, I'm willing to serve this thing, this person, this cause, um, and, and make sacrifices. And, and so I think that is where you, 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 you can um, escape the eternal eye. That's where you can break the arrested development. That is where uh, you can end this Peter Pan syndrome is when you find something to serve and, and you, and, and, and I would just, uh, you know, service comes at a cost, but I, I, I think the, that the ultimate reward for, for having a higher loyalty to something outside yourself is so fulfilling and so rewarding and so necessary in any individual's um, mm. kind of growth process. And then the other way that I think tangibly to, to, to get after it is uh, Joseph Campbell uh, talks about the hero's journey. And, and, and in the hero's journey, there's a calling, and then you respond to that call, and it usually means you leave your home, you slay a dragon, whatever this proverbial dragon is, uh, you learn a lesson, and then there's some kind of where you come back and you bring those lessons forward to your community, to your neighbors. And so you, you have to find like, what what is that calling? And, and, and part of the issue is like, that we're, we, in today's day and age where there's so much information, we're, we're waiting for that perfect, what is that? Like, we're waiting for like God to write it in the clouds for us. Like here's, the, it's it's like, you, you just got to start to pursue something, not recklessly with some planning, but at some point, if you're waiting for everything to be perfect, to align, to step outside that comfort zone and to go find and slay that dragon, uh, if you're waiting for the perfect conditions, they're not coming. Uh, and, and so like at some point, you just need to go out and 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 get after something and, and, and you will struggle and there will be adversity and you will grow. And in that adversity and that struggle, and, and you will ref- have an opportunity to really refine your character. Mm. It's cyclical. So veterans will transition. They'll go back to their home. They'll have gone and slayed, even if they don't go to combat, right? They've, they've gone out. They've done something. They've, they've discovered some things. But then they end up back in their mother's home, and they kind of, they, they, like they start to infantilize themselves. They start to kind of revert back to the boy that they were when they last. And so, like, what, what men need to do is, is they need to go, what is my call? Uh, I need to go out and, and do that thing, accomplish whatever that thing is. 
what growth did I experience from that adversity uh, that I can bring back? But then find the next call. Like, like it, it that like life is is not about just uh, reaching the summit. Because if it, once you're done climbing, you're done. You know, you've you've got to find the next calling, mm. the next the next hill to to uh, because uh, otherwise you will start to get complacent. You'll start to revert back, and so I I think you've got to continue on a cyclical hero's journey where you, you go out, you learn some things, uh, and then and then you bring those back. You add value, you contribute, and so and and, and that's part of it as well. Is like there's too much. Uh, What's in it for me or consumerism for, for, for men where, where they're waiting, um, that, that rather than being contributors, they're consumers Mm -hmm. and rather than trying to find ways to be useful, they're trying to, to, to take, right. And so to me as a servant leader, as someone who's committed to higher loyalties, I don't, I don't want to take, I want to contribute and, and I want to find where can I be most uniful within my community, within my friendships. And, and so we get this idea or these depictions of, you know, Homer Simpson or Al Bundy or or uh, Family Guy where, like, the, the, the man's work is he does something for eight hours in the office and then comes back. And now, all right, everybody served me. You know, I did. It's like, no, now you're at work again. <laughs> and, and, and so, like, these, these models of dads or men that we've seen through popular culture, I think, are very... Like uh, they pollute kind of the way that it's it's like I don't get to I work long hours. I come home and I get right back to work and and and, and I continue. I don't get Liz to, likes hearing that. And, 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 and so like <laughs> right, it's it's you 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 got to keep being keep useful, working. keep contributing, and it's not like hey, I put money in the bank, so now my work here is done. Mm-hmm. It's like okay. And you have responsibility as a dad, a father, a partner, a friend, you know, and, and so like you, you and, and I think we see too often these representations of like my daughter watches Peppa the Pig all the time, right? The dad and Peppa the Pig is a hazard and liability to his family. Uh-huh. You know, it's like right. always the mom kind of figuring things out because the dad has just punted and screwed everything up and like, or uh, Phil Dunphy, like he's charming, like we like Phil Dunphy, but He's quite often a hazard to like, and, and so when when can we have like a positive masculinity where it's 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 that the the man isn't the screw up, the man isn't the guy that sits with his hands in his pants, you know, watching football like that. Mm. What that that's that's crap, you know. And mm. uh, I, I that, that's maybe a couple uh, ideas. No, no, thank no, you. <clears throat> that's yeah. I mean, there, there's uh, a a trope right of the bumbling idiot dad right in in every. I mean, just so many movies, so much. I mean, even ads. I think it's starting to sort of shift um, because uh, brands can now make money uh, off of uh, positive masculinity. But I, but I think that yeah, it was it was it, it, exactly that. Um, and so, and you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was you know that you, most people who end up um, in the military are are peacemakers. How do you think men can contribute to peace and be peacemakers? Both in I think the wider world um collectively but also in their in their individual relationships perhaps with women sure like first and foremost you have to have peace internally uh mm-hmm. and, and so um you know to me you you gotta quell the anger and so whatever that anger is inside of you uh has to be quelled and and, and you know i grew up in an environment where men and women were screaming and throwing. And, um, I always viewed men 
who were, would physically intimidate or need to raise their voice, I always viewed that as such cowardice and such weakness. Mm-hmm. I think uh, before you can uh, begin to evangelize peace, you've got to get get some peace internally. And I bet you would find some of that peace through service to others And because there's so much purpose and reward um, when you lose yourself in, in, a, in a cause of, of something greater than oneself. Mm-hmm. And then I think you have to resist the temptation to sow discord, you know, it's intoxicating to sit on the sidelines and and throw stuff at the the people in the arena. It's so intoxicating to be angry. It's it's you feel this righteous indignation and it kind of feels good, but it's fleeting. Where can you add harmony? You know, balance I think is often a, a bridge too far. I think very rarely will you find perfect balance. I don't know where that like exists, but I think you can certainly find opportunities for increased harmony. Mm. Let me I'm gonna ask you five or six questions. Give, give me, give me, give me like two or three word answers. Okay. Tell me something that you hope that your boy becomes. Just quick, quick answer. Uh, your boys loyal. Tell me something that your girls, your daughter becomes. Strong. Something that makes you cry. Um, thinking of my dog. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you cried? Um, I cried when I gave the eulogy for my aunt. Mm. Um, I often like get moved to tears, but don't cry just like through general observations of my kids and just mm. so humbled and grateful and moved at these little humans. Um, mm. Two things you love about your wife. Hmm. There's many. Uh, she, her courage um, and her strength, like I said, that's what I'd want for my daughter. My wife is very strong. Beautiful. Well, let, let, let us... <clears throat> As we come to like some of our final questions, uh, I would love to tell you. This is so interesting in my brain because I am I have a weird relationship with. Um, I see the world as one country. I know we're not, but I see it that way. I know that we have to have protections, and yet it breaks my heart because I see the world as one country. I have family all throughout the world. I've been everywhere. I see the world as one country. So I hate that we have to have division and protection against each other when I see the whole world as one family. And yet I get it. And since we are here in this time of humanity where we need those protections, I say this sincerely. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your um, sacrifice. Um, and mostly, um, you shared some stuff, vulnerable stuff, like you have a friend, Zach, who saved your life. I don't want that to fall on deaf ears. That is a mm. huge thing. Most people do not experience their life um, being taken from them, or at least the glimpse of that. So for you to have experienced that in the name of protecting something that you feel loyal to and greater than yourself, and for all of us and for the world being one family, um, is really 
really spectacular and deserves all the love and acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. I know that you deflect it because <laughs> I see that you're very humble. Um, but I admire your courage. And also I'm thankful to Zach that you had a friend yeah. that you could release in a way that you couldn't in other ways mm. so that you didn't have that mental breakdown yeah. mm. so that you could come home and have a family and, mm. um, and help other young men and women mm. and train them and hopefully um, give them a glimpse of this is what you're going to experience and we want you to be wonderful beings afterwards or through it. So here's some key things I've learned. And maybe that's how to undefine what it means to be masculine, masculine and to embrace feminine stuff. And yes, you got to put your emotions aside to get through it, but make sure you get back in touch with it because that's how we advance, you know, mm -hmm. so much. So um, I just wanted to just say some words to you that were in my heart. Mm -hmm, and uh, We mm -hmm. appreciate you. Yeah. And thank you for sharing, you know, the things that you're working on and like what you're trying to move through and. Um, you know, there's this saying like, thank you for your service is like the end of a conversation and it should be the beginning of a conversation. And I am glad that we were able to start that and hopefully encourage more people to yeah, mm. ask questions and mm. be curious. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, we have a final question we ask everyone. Um, and we're really curious to know what you think, what yours is. What does it mean to be man enough? To you. To be a servant leader committed to something greater than yourself. <laughs> I love that one. I don't know who. That's, High five a, it. That's, a, that's amazing. That was a little weak. I, I didn't give you a good one, man. I mean, there it is. <laughs> we're grateful that you were here um, allowing us to go have this conversation. I don't know how often you have conversations like this. Um, this is what we do all the time um, is have conversations with different people of different walks of life you know, um, and what they've learned so that we can learn from it. Yeah, it's a really important one. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank, Thank you. you for that. You want to take us out, Liz? Take us yeah. out. Yeah, so if you like what you heard, you can uh, follow us um, everywhere. Instagram, everywhere. TikTok, Twitter, question mark? No, Twitter. Sure. Yeah, lots of tweets. You can go to manenough.com slash podcast. Yes. Go to YouTube. You go to YouTube, you go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um anywhere it's free and we would love for you to join our community we would love it um tell your friends if you feel like this is something you know yeah. I, I'll, and, and maybe tell like your 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 brothers or your your kids or something mm. like that because i do think conversations like this whether or not you agree with everything we yes. say is part of the solution yes having conversations starting about it yes yeah, send so, the uh, podcast to someone send it over just like someone you haven't talked to in a long time that's right it's just it's again some way to start a combo that's right. And you get to hear more of Liz. Um, until next time, you'll see Justin with us hopefully real soon. Uh, I'm Jamie Heath. I'm Liz Plank. And this is Men Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>